Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. Acts chapter 2, we're going to read verses blow, like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Why don't you bow your heads with me and, uh, and let's pray. God, I thank you for, for these next moments as we're gathered together as your people. God, I thank you that as we turn to your scripture, it's not me, it's not my ideas. I'm not trying to convince us of anything, but I pray that you would speak. God, that, that if it's not your ideas coming to us, if it's not your promptings, your, your, your meeting us, your pushing us and, and, and exalting us forward, then, then we don't want to be here. If your presence does not come with us, we don't want to go. God, I pray that today you would speak into hearts and minds that we would leave different because we encountered you, God, the creator and sustainer of all that is. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so today, I, I want to start by saying today is not Pentecost Sunday, right? Today is not Pentecost Sunday. In case you're like, oh, the, the month of May seemed to have just flown right on by. I'm not quite sure what happened. The, uh, Pentecost Sunday is traditionally 50 days after Easter. So it's the 23rd of May, in case you're wondering where it's, where it's coming in the calendar. However, uh, as I was preparing for this week, l- last Sunday was Easter. Anyone remember that? Remember Easter? We can cast our mind back. We had an incredible time here together. Yeah, who enjoyed our Easter celebration last Sunday? It's good. It's a few of you, more of you can be involved next time. Hopefully you enjoyed it a little bit more. That's right. But we could try that one more time. Who here enjoyed Easter celebration last Sunday? Yeah? It's good. It's good. Uh, I was going to go for a third if, if the, that, that response wasn't enough for me. Uh, but, but from Easter, right, we have Easter. We know, you know, Jesus dies for us on Easter. And I spoke about the road to Emmaus. Yeah? Anyone remember that? That's right. If you didn't, uh, in fact, if you didn't, and maybe you were away on Easter Sunday, uh, maybe you were traveling, uh, we now have on our, our church center app, if you go to the more button, we've got sermons uploaded. So if you missed out uh, on, on what happened there, you can go and find uh, that sermon from last week and, and catch up. It was a good one, right? We don't put up the bad ones. There's no bad ones because it's all the Word of God. Uh, but, we, but we preached about the road to Emmaus where Jesus met two disciples who were heading away from Jerusalem in disappointment and He brought hope to them. And, and as I was preparing, kind of the next moment after the road to Emmaus is this moment in Acts where the disciples come together and, and the Holy Spirit meets them in the upper room. And, and I, I started kind of thinking about it and praying into it. And I got this thing, oh, man, I really feel like God wants to speak about that. And then I was like, oh, but it's not Pentecost Sunday. You can't preach about Pentecost until it's Pentecost Sunday. And then I was like, Jono, that's silly, right? I hope you agree. And so today we're going to be preaching uh, about Pentecost. And I wonder what comes to mind for you when you think about Pentecost, when you think about this idea in this moment. Maybe you think of something like this. Anyone think of that? That's, uh, I was reading Ollie, the account of Pentecost, uh, uh, from his, his children's Bible book, and, and this is how they showed Pentecost to be, which I thought was quite nice, right? It's uh, quite a, oh, look at that. You've got a flame on your shoulder. I've got a flame on my shoulder. One guy's like, oh, I've got a flame on my shoulder. I don't know, did I light my, my shoulder on fire? But it's a weird moment, right? Can we embrace the weirdness of the account here? The disciples are gathered together. There's a sound of a rushing wind, and then all of a sudden there's fire on all their shoulders, and they start speaking in languages that they don't know. And so sometimes I think we can read these accounts of stuff like Pentecost and be like, oh, it's a little bit weird. 
let's skip on to, to when they start establishing the early church and, and we can understand and relate to that a little bit more. But I want to say that something important happens in this moment of Pentecost, not just for the disciples, but for us. That there's something that happens in this moment that I think if we've correctly engaged with Easter, then we engage with this moment, then we're better equipped to be the change that God has called us to be in our world. That we can be, that we can affect, that we can walk in the call that God has for us, that we can be the people that He's called to be. And so today I want to share with you why I think Pentecost is so amazing and why I believe we, like the disciples, need the Holy Spirit in our everyday life. Is that okay? It's good. It's good. So to start, to really understand the, the Holy Spirit, I did this last week too. It's becoming a bit of a trend. To understand the Holy Spirit, we need to start at the beginning, right? The beginning of the Bible. I'm not going to recap the whole Bible in under five minutes this week. That's a, a once a kind of term sort of trick. But, but the start of the Bible, uh, you might have read it before. It starts like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? The earth was, was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters, this idea that before creation even began, we see a depiction of God's Spirit, and, and God is depicted as a Spirit that is hovering over the dark, disordered, chaotic waters of the earth. It's a, a, a fun word in Hebrew. It's tohu wa bohu. Let me turn to your neighbor and just say that, because it feels nice to say. It's one of those fun exercises, right? Anyone come across that thing? Anyone said a word before so many times that it loses meaning? You know what I mean? Or, or it starts to feel funny in your mouth? I can't remember, I think it's called like semantic disassociation, but that, that moment where you're like, oh, this word feels no longer like a word. It just feels like sounds in my mouth. And then it becomes quite enjoyable. I, I like that moment here where you say tohu wa bohu, because it doesn't really mean anything to us, but it feels fun, right? And, and so this, this spirit of God is hovering over the dark and disordered, ready to bring about life and order and beauty. And it's interesting because every time in the Old Testament when we see a depiction of, the, of the, the Spirit of God, it's depicted, as in these first few verses of the Bible, that the word ruach is used. Why don't you, why don't you turn to your neighbor and say that? That's got some in it. Ruach, right? Ruach. Feels like you might be swearing at them. You're not, right? Just has that kind of vibe to it. Uh, and, and ruach is used to describe a number of things in Hebrew, but what they all have in common is it's some kind of, of energy, right? It's a bit of an extended metaphor. For example, the first thing is ruach is used to describe wind, right? That, that force that moves the clouds or, or makes the branches of a tree sway. That in Hebrew is the word ruach. Now I want you to take a deep breath, right? Maybe in through your nose so you get that real deep breath going on. Oh, that was nice, right? That was good. We all don't have COVID. That's good because you can take deep breaths. It's a nice little test for you. That's a handy, helpful tip. Uh, but but that, that breath inside of you, that air inside your lungs, specifically that energy, the vitality that it brings to your body from breathing deeply, that too in Hebrew is that word ruach. Right, so ruach can mean breath, it can mean wind, and it can mean spirit. And it's been suggested that the reason this one word is used for three different concepts isn't a, a lack of creativity in, in ancient Hebrew. It's not like, ah, what are we going to call that? Uh, ruach. What are we going to call that? Uh, ruach, right? Like they just don't have enough words. Instead, there's a, an intentional kind of uh, bringing together of similar concepts to create a bigger concept. Does that make sense? pull them together and they create something bigger in and of themselves. It's an intentional linguistic tool to try and convey the enormity of who God is. Essentially, it's if one word won't be enough, let's use three. 
And so it paints a bit of a, a word picture that just like wind and breath are invisible, so the Spirit of God is invisible. Just like wind is powerful, so God's Spirit is powerful. Just as breath keeps us alive, so God's Spirit sustains us. Ruach, it's, it's, it's a big word. But, but the metaphors within metaphors actually kind of continue to help us to understand the nature of God's Spirit and its relationship with creation. In, in fact, the first time that we hear of the, the Holy Spirit, of God's Spirit, is in Genesis chapter 1. But the first time we actually hear of God's name isn't until Exodus 3. Exodus 3, if we, we put it up on the screen, of the name of God. We'll go to the next one. That's breath. That was what we were talking about. Name of God, right? The, the name of God is in, in Exodus 3, and, and it's Moses encountering God. And, and Moses says to God, what is your name? And God responds, Moses, tell them that the Lord sent you. Here, the, the word Lord, the name Lord, if you're reading it in the English translation of the Bible, is spelled capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Anyone, anyone noticed that before? Everyone been like, oh, wow, weird. Who ever was writing this version of the Bible accidentally bumped cap locks for this word, and then they, they managed to turn it back off. That, that's odd, odd mistake that they keep on making. The word Lord is actually in the Bible over 6,000 times, and it's usually, if it's referring to God in this capacity, always written as, as all caps. Because what the, the authors or the, the translators of the English Bible are trying to do is they're trying to let you in on something that's happening in the Hebrew text that we can't quite capture in English. Hopefully we're all aware that the Bible wasn't originally written in English, right? Originally written in, in Greek and mainly Hebrew. And, and, and so when it was translated, uh, the Hebrew name that's here is Lord is essentially four letters. The, the letter Y-H-W-H. In the Hebrew, the letters are pronounced yod Hey, vad Hey, which can be transliterated as, as Yahweh. Right? That, that's how we would write it if we were writing it out full hand. But it's thought that the original intent was actually when these letters were written in the Bible, where in the English translation, we've replaced it with capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that actually the intent was that the word could not be pronounced. In, in the Hebrew uh, context and the understanding, you, you intentionally do not say these words. You wouldn't even try and say Yahweh. You'd say if you were looking to try and say, you'd say Adonai as a, as a kind of placeholder for, for this word because it's the word, it's the, the name of God should not be uttered. It's too holy. It's too revered. It's, it's too set apart. And, and, and so when they write Y-H-W-H, yod hey vod hey, right? The, the idea is actually that you can't say it. The reason you can't say it is because ancient Hebrew doesn't have vowels, which is real fun when you're taking ancient Hebrew and you're trying to learn how to, how to read it. You're like, oh, I don't understand how to read this. Instead, what they do is they, they make alterations. They have uh, consonants that use vowel markers. It's confusing. We won't get into it. It doesn't matter. But, but suffice to say, it's written as Y-H-W-H because the intention is that you cannot even pronounce the word. It's not even just not meant to be said. It's meant to, you can't, it's a tongue twister. You can't get your tongue around it. And it kind of works in English. Try it. Why don't you uh, try to say that, so not Yodveh, Hodveh, or Yahweh, but try and say Y-H-W-H, that word. Just turn to your neighbor, in fact, and just say it to them. <laughs> Anyone just get a nice breath? in their face from their neighbor, right? Like, oh, I understand. I don't know what the word you're trying to say is, but I know what you had for breakfast this morning now because you just breathed it into my face. Thank you for that. Maybe one more time. If your neighbor did it to you, you can return the favor. Just turn back to them and just uh, breathe in deeply and then, <laughs> yeah, and we, uh, maybe you just kind of, 
in your neighbor's face? Could that, that happen to anyone? Quick show of hands. You're like, yeah, my neighbor just, it was lovely. Thanks for that, Jono. I, I love coming to church where people can just breathe in my face directly. That's uh, exactly what I was after. But this is what's meant to happen in trying to say this word, that it's so unpronounceable that not only are you not meant to say it, but if you try and say it, the very act of saying it is just going to be the, the sound of, of breathing. Why? To remind us that the Spirit of God is in us in every breath, that the Spirit of God animates us, that it's not just the wind, that it's not just moving externally, moving things in a world that we can see, but it's also in us in every moment, that every breath that we take is because the Spirit of God is in us and animating us. See, so, so, so if the word for God's spirit is the same word as the word for wind and breath and the pronunciation of God's name is the sound of, of breathing, there's something here going on that we're meant to, to understand. See, the Bible is written in a way that it's meant to remind us that God is at the center of everything that God is central to who we are, God is central to the story of, of the world, that God is central to the story is the story of God interacting with humanity, that He is at the center, not us, and that God's Spirit is our breath that gives us life. You know, Psalm uh, 104 tells us, but if you turn away from them, this is speaking to God, they panic. When you take away their breath, they die and turn again to dust. When you give them your breath, life is created and you renew the face of the earth. Interestingly, in the message version of the same passage, it says, if you turn your back, they die in a minute. Take back your spirit. It's using the word spirit this time instead of breath. And they die, revert to original mud. Send out your spirit again, interchangeable with the word breath, right? And they spring to life. The whole countryside in bloom and blossom. See, there's this picture I hope that you're, you're getting that everything, including us, all of creation is held together, is animated by the breath of God. And, and so the Hebrew authors, what they simply did was every opportunity that they got, they tried to remind us God is central and sustaining us. You know, it, it's incredible because it kind of continues even further. Amazingly, the, the, the word in English, the root word spirit, the, the origin of that word is the Latin word spiritus which just so happens to mean breath, right? Like there's layers on layers on layers on layers to us. That, that the Holy Spirit is intimate, that it's the power that holds everything together, that it's in us, moving through us. It's the power in our lungs, the energy that sustains us. To continue this, this metaphor, and I hope you don't feel like I'm belaboring it, but I just really want it to land for us today. It says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. This idea that without God in us, without God's animating presence in us, we would simply be animals. We would be walking biological functions, that God's Spirit brings us meaning. Paul continues in Acts chapter 17, verse 28. He says, in him we live and move and have our being. See, I, I, I want to encourage you today. Maybe you're new to this whole Christianity idea or experience. Maybe you're yet to have a relationship with God. Maybe you're thinking of someone who's close to you but far from God. Every person, regardless of their relationship with God, has the Holy Spirit in them. The very fact that they are living, that they are sustained, that they are upright, that they are able to move is because something in them is renewing them. Something in them is holding them together. Something in them brought them to life, right? The Holy Spirit is there at work moving, even if we're not aware of it. 
And the reason that we need the Holy Spirit in our everyday lives is because without God's Spirit, we're the walking dead. Without God's Spirit, we, we lose all meaning. You know, it's really interesting. I've been going on a bit of a, a journey looking at, at kind of progressive theology. Before you take a gasp, don't worry, I'm not advocating progressive theology. And, and for some of you, that means nothing and don't worry about it. But, but kind of this idea of there's a lot of people out there at the moment who are deconstructing faith, who are looking at faith and saying, hey, what, what's real? What, what's not real? What do I keep and what do I throw away? And unfortunately, rather than embracing kind of the canon of Scripture and orthodoxy and where the church has gotten to over, over thousands of years of tradition, they're kind of having this moment where they're like, I think I've figured it out. Forget the, the past fathers. Forget, you know, years and years of, of theological understanding. I think I've got it. And so what ends up happening is they start taking bits of the Bible that they want and throwing out other bits. Ah, oh, this bit I'll apply to me, but this bit feels outdated and I can't understand it, even in its, in its you know, context that it was given. And so I'm going to leave that bit, but I'm going to take this bit. And, and it's interesting because what ends up happening is they remove God from their Christianity. And without fail, the end result of this deconstruction is people end up leaving church, leaving a relationship with God, and, and their lives too often end up falling into a place that they never would have imagined. Right, falling apart. And I think it's simply because they've taken the spirit out. You know, I think we are just as in danger of doing this as evangelicals, right? We, we, we want to have a, an expression of, of church that, that is honoring of God. And so we put in all of this, this effort to have lights and to have music and sound to be contemporary because we want to reach a world in a contemporary way. We want to uh, expand the gospel as much as we can. And yet in doing so, we need to be careful that we don't make the show the center of who we are rather than God. It's just as easy for us to lose the Spirit of God and come and do all of this without God in the middle. I know I've been in churches like that where it never is intentional that it happens, but you look around and you're like, oh man, somewhere along the way we lost God and we didn't realize it. It's a scary thought, yeah? And I think the same thing can happen to us as Christians, that we can have a relationship with Jesus, it can be real and living and dynamic, and then it can fall into kind of a methodical, I do this because I've always done it, because I feel like I should. And somewhere along the way, it goes from being a relationship to being a ritual, and the meaning drops out of it, the spirit falls out of it, and all of a sudden, we're like, oh, I feel like this is a dead religious activity because it's become that. So, so how do we bring the life back into church? How do we bring the life back into our relationship with God? Because the last thing we want to be is zombies, yeah? Walking dead. You know that, that word zombie, it's an interesting word actually. Um, we're doing a few interesting words today, aren't we? Off, you know, I've obviously been reading my dictionary this week, yeah? The, the word zombie is actually a, a Haitian word. And, and it's, it was used to describe originally, we now all know zombies, yeah? Like they're in the, the movies and the video games and the, you know, they want to eat your brains and they, they shamble along. Great for entertainment purposes, but that's not what a zombie originally meant. That the first word uh, of, of zombie, the first use of it, was to describe a slave, someone who was enslaved, who had lost hope. Right? It's, it's one thing to be enslaved. It's one thing to have your freedom taken away from you. But it's a whole other thing to be enslaved, to not have any freedom, and to have your hope stripped from you. Once your hope has been taken from you, they don't just have you in prison, but they've put your heart in a cage and you become a zombie, someone who doesn't have dreams or aspirations or hope anymore, but you just do the work that the slave master has set for you, not hoping that anything different will happen for you or your children or their children. This is just the place that I am. This is just the way that it'll always be. 
And I think so often when we look out in the world, we see that sort of nihilistic approach that seems a sensible way to approach the world if we approach it from a, a simply humanity's sort of focus. If there's nothing that brings meaning, if there's no purpose beyond us, then why would we try and do anything? Just get on with your life, meet your needs. Maybe if you're feeling charitable, don't make anyone else's life worse, but, but that's all that life's about. The world, I believe, is, is filled with zombies. People who, who maybe they're free, but their hope has been captured. Their hope has been encaged. And, and here, I believe, is the pointy end of the sermon. Because if we're not careful, I think we can live a horribly circular life. We can get stuck in a, a cycle of sorts where we come to church and, and we're restored and we're brought back to life. We're, we're brought back from an existence as dust, from, from being zombies. We're reanimated and, and the breath of life is breathed into us. And we have these incredible moments in praise and worship. And hopefully as the word's being taught, where something in us is built up and we're like, oh man, there is more to life. God has a plan and a purpose for me. This is incredible. God, God, I want to live for you. We leave Sunday, we're pumped. We're like, yeah, let's go do it. And then, and then Monday comes about, and, and we feel a little bit less pumped. And then Tuesday, a little bit less. And Wednesday, we're feeling fairly deflated. And by Thursday, we're back to being dead again. And then Friday is like, oh, well, at least it's Friday. Saturday, we just get by, and then we stumble into church on Sunday. Like, I need something. And then we get reanimated. Ah, like, oh, I can do it. I can change the world. It's going to be amazing. And then we slowly deflate, and we're stuck in the cycle. We need church to, to reinvigorate us. And I'm not saying that church should not invigorate us. Church should. We should encounter God here. There should be something that happens here as we gather together corporately that cannot happen anywhere else. You should be edified. You should be encouraged. You should leave being built up, having encountered a life-giving God. But you should not only encounter God here. Or else you're going to be stuck in that cycle again and again and again. And the reason I know is because I've lived this life. Being stuck in a, oh, God, I need to, oh, I just need to get out of this space. If only we had church on a Wednesday. Great idea to have church on a Wednesday, but it's not, the reason should not be because I cannot make it through a week without a bit of a top-up from a communal faith. See, here's the pointy end because I believe that, that we can end up in this, this perpetual cycle of God bringing us to eternal life and then us kind of losing it midway through. You see, God comes to bring us life and life abundantly. And the reason that I said I think it was important that we talk about Pentecost, that we talk about the Holy Spirit, is because we need the Holy Spirit to be truly alive. Everything is created and sustained in God. We are animated by His Ruach, His, His breath in us, and we are restored by His Ruach. We come alive again when we've walked away because His grace is sufficient. But we don't aspire to that cyclical life of peaks and troughs, of having a great Sunday and a, and a horrible Wednesday, because that's essentially just the law 2.0. We go to the temple, we make sacrifices, but we sin in the week, and so we lose God's presence, and we come back to the temple. We want God with us all the time. Can I give you a, a final example, maybe just to get the band up? We're going to have a bit of a ministry time at the end here, so I want to keep this short. Final example, who here, uh, and this is not like a, a, a bragging right sort of thing, but who here has ever fasted? This is not, I'm not doing a quick assessment of if you're a good Christian or not. It's just to understand my, uh, my, my illustration. Right, maybe you're fasting, maybe you've done like a, a Daniel fast, maybe you've even fasted for non-spiritual purposes, that's also fine. Maybe you've done like a, a restricted sort of calorie thing for, for some sort of sports prep or training regime or, or as a diet. 
if you've ever fasted and you've done it for a, a fairly extended period of time, one of the most important things about fasting isn't just what you do when you're fasting, it's how you break your fast. Um, my mum's a, a, a doctor, and she used to always warn uh, me and my dad of this when we were growing up, whenever we'd fast, because we were really bad at maintaining the discipline at the end of the fast. So you'd get to like the end of a, a 21-day Daniel fast where you'd only eaten fruit and vegetables if you were doing it, like really militant, you know, no unprocessed anything, no sugar, no dairy, insane. Uh, and, and you get to the end of it, and it's like, all right, this is our first meal breaking the fast. Mum's like, all right, you should start with just a nice, gentle soup, maybe a little bit of lean meat. And we're like, we're going to eat three steaks, two tubs of ice cream. It's going to be amazing. Right? You go and do that, and then immediately what happens, you feel horribly sick. And, and if you're especially unlucky, the things that you put into your body decide that they don't want to stay in your body. Let's just leave it at that, if you know what I'm saying. And, and you get taught the lesson in the hard way of maybe you needed to go a little bit easier. But I believe the same thing can happen to us spiritually. Right? We, say in a, you know, we, we come to church on a Sunday, and it's a great environment, and there's collective faith, and so we gorge on it. And I encourage you, gorge. This is an environment in which you're meant to be filled up, in which you're meant to be edified. We take it all in and we leave feeling great. But if we're honest, that was our first real encounter with God. That was our first real encounter with His Spirit all week. And sure, maybe you read your Bible, you played worship music in the car, but, but you didn't feel like the Spirit was close. You didn't really feel that, that moment. And so by Tuesday, you can't keep it down. And, and so you're empty again. The, the animating force of existence, God's Ruach, it isn't gone, but you're not tapping into it. You're like a thirsty man sitting next to a spring. All you need is there, but you're not taking it. And so you wither and turn to dust. We come in and we take it all in. And we're like, oh man, I want to feel like this forever. Even more of a kind of a, an extreme example, those conference moments. You go and you feel God so close as that collective faith that, that something happens in that special moment of creating space for God to move and, and we respond and God's there and we're like, ah, if only I could always feel like this in this moment, if only God was always this close. And then conference finishes and, and we took in this huge meal and we can't keep it in and we're deflated a week after. Questioning whether that moment was really real or was it all just hype? Did I just imagine it? Was it just caught up in something? See, what, what, what's the solution? What's the response? Because surely we're not called to live a life of, of this punishing cycle, feeling close to God, far from God, close to God, far from God. If, if the reason we need God's Spirit with us every day is that it brings us to life, what can we do? You know, in the Bible, the Holy Spirit has a lot of different names. It describes a few different metaphors. We've got fire, right? That comes from the picture of Pentecost. So far today, we've been looking at that picture of breath, of ruach. But I want to look at one final picture. And I think it helps us understand how we need to respond. We need to look at the picture of the Holy Spirit that Jesus used in John chapter 7, verse 37 to 39. It says, On the last and the greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant his Spirit, whom those believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. See, we, we need living water. We need God with us, flowing from us every day of the week. Not, not just a fresh breath once a week, but rivers of living water flowing from within. You know, to continue this idea, Jeremiah says, in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, For my people have done two evil things. 
They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. And here's where I want to end today. See, we need the Holy Spirit. We need God's Spirit, His breath, His ruach. It brings us to life in a way that nothing else does. But, but our approach cannot be to turn up to church with a bucket mentality. God, fill me enough today that I'll make it through the week. Fill me enough today that, that I'll get through because we're about wells, not cisterns. What, what's a cistern? A, a cistern is, is simply, it's, it's like a well. But rather than having fresh water bubbling up, rather than having an access to an aquifer or something from which fresh water comes, you have to put water in it. It's a well without that, that touch into water. Essentially, it's a big bucket. And so what you do with the cistern is you go and you find a well. And, and you take water from that well and you carry it back to your cistern, which is usually closer than the well. And, and you put the water in the cistern and you use the water from the cistern because the well is too far. The problem is, is that the water that you put in the cistern doesn't stay fresh. It starts to sit there. Things start to fall in it. Life starts to get in it. Offenses, hurts, disappointment. And the water goes from being fresh to being stagnant. Things start growing in that water that you don't want to put into you. It starts being a place that is no longer a place of life and refreshment, but is a place of bitterness. It becomes a, a bitter water. There's a whole thing of a theme there in the Bible, a bitter water that we won't go into. But I want to suggest today, do you have a cistern in your life or do you have a well? Do you have a cistern relationship with God where you come to church on a Sunday and you take as much as you can to take home and put in your bucket to try and sustain you from the week? Or do you have a well relationship with God where He's there in every moment, fresh water, a fresh wind, a fresh encounter to sustain you? So I want to say today is amazing. I'm not advocating that we don't gather together as a people. Today is important. Gathering together is a biblical precedent. God instructs us to do this. There's something that happens when we gather together in a way that, that cannot happen on our own. There's a, a communal blessing. We are the body of Christ. But, but if, if the only encounter that we have with God is on a Sunday, we won't be well equipped for the week. We won't be fresh enough for our troubles on Thursday. When you're feeling stressed at work when you're feeling grumpy at home or, or tempted to do something you know is wrong, it won't be enough to close your eyes and try and remember, God, I know that you felt close on a Sunday. Help me to feel that moment again. Help me to feel you close. God, I need you in this moment. The water won't be fresh anymore. Our cisterns are cracked. We leak. We're filled up on a Sunday, but we leak. We need a connection to living water, not to build a cistern to hold water. We need fresh connection. God wants us to have a relationship with Him, a well in the middle of our lives that we can draw fresh water from at all times. Let's not struggle through the week to make it to Sunday again so that we can finally fill our buckets only to run out again halfway through the week. We live in grace. And grace means that we can meet with Jesus at any time. Because we're able to receive the Spirit because Jesus died for us. The final scripture I want to share with you is, is John chapter 20, verse 21 to 22. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples after his resurrection. He's appeared to them. And he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And amazingly, in a way that shouldn't surprise us because the Bible is an incredible work. The word here used for breathing on them are the exact same words, the exact same phrasing that's used in Genesis chapter 2 when God breathed into the dust and made Adam. 
See, church, He appoints us. He appoints them and He appoints us to continue the work that He began of making a new creation. We walk in the mantle and the, and the calling of the disciples. So I want to do two things this morning. If you could stand to your feet. The first thing that I'd love to do, just his head's about, his eyes are closed. In a moment, we're going to step into a moment of, of ministry in the Holy Spirit. We can receive God's Spirit. But maybe you're here today and you've heard me speaking of this God who wants to, to empower you, who wants to breathe into you, who wants to sustain you. And you don't have a relationship with Him. I want to tell you, you cannot be sustained by a God that you have not invited in. God's not going to push His way into your life. He's going to come in if you invite Him. Last Sunday, we celebrated on Easter that, that He went to the cross for die for you, that He has done everything, that He has made a way where we cannot. So that today as we stand here, all that we are, mistakes and successes, we know each and every one of us all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. We all need His sacrifice on our behalf. We all need the death of Jesus on the cross for our sins to cover our iniquity. The only distinction is whether we've accepted that sacrifice or are yet to. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.